struggle is not my fault all this I got so lose my friends I lost my baby that is looking right Only today want to change He wanted it So the cook gonna try what like to feel Welcome back, Crack fans. As always, I'm your host, Dalton Thieneman. We have a very cool partnership that we have in the works. We've been working on here uh, the last week or so that we're excited to announce. Uh, Just a little teaser on that. It's going to lead to more high-level player interviews on the ATP and WTA circuit. And, of course, some creative collaborations on the social side as well. But more to come on that later. Also, go check out the website, crackrackets.com, and add that on the favorites on your website browser or on your phone. Parker Thieneman has been keeping you updated on the entertaining headlines in the tennis world. Alex Leopold is dropping his infamous next-gen power rankings with all the top Americans. And he and Alex Gruskin actually just recently debated Francis Tiafo's first ATP title win at Delray Beach and if he is now or should now be considered a legitimate threat on tour. So go check that out. Uh, one quick plug, go follow our Twitter and Instagram pages. The handle's Cracked Rackets, obviously. And if you haven't already, go subscribe, rate, and review the Great Shot Podcast. Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, and Max Fliegner have new episodes every week with that banterous back and forth style you have grown to love for some reason. <laughs> No, but seriously, go check that out. Um, we also wanted to remind you that we have a brand new docu-series-style podcast coming called Cross Court Chronicles. We've been hyping this for a while, but it is coming very soon. The first episode uh, dropping will be Fire and Ice, the Maria Sharapova and Serena Williams rivalry, available on iTunes, the website, and wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, on this edition of the Cracked Interviews, 2017 NCA Men's Singles Champion Tyson Kwiatkowski joins the podcast to discuss the winning culture developed by former legendary, or I should say legendary former UVA coach Brian Bolin, capping his collegiate career off with the ultimate trifecta of winning the ITA Indoor Championship, the NCA Team Championship, and then of course the NCA Singles title last May and then the transition to the professional tour. So I think you're really going to enjoy this, Crack fans. Ty gives us a lot of inside perspective. Uh, so for now, enjoy Gruskin and I's conversation with Ty. Hey, Tyson, thanks for coming on, man. What's up, man? How are you? Great, great. Um, I do want to introduce my co-host this evening, Alex Gruskin of the Great Shot Podcast. Pleasure to meet you, Ty. What's up, man? Good to meet you. And uh, he is the biggest UVA fan and, and one of the biggest you know, collegiate tennis fans you'll ever know. So he probably knows a little bit more about you than you'd, than you'd like to know. But it, you know, <laughs> it'll make the conversation a lot more lighthearted, a lot, you know, a lot more casual. But I uh, wanted to get started here by... We saw over the weekend you were with uh, Katrina Adams of the uh, USCA at the New York Islanders game. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So I was actually in New York this week um, because I'm, I was seeing a physical therapist there for just some off-season work on my body. And then also to <clears throat> visit my agent and then see some of my best friends who live in New York. So yeah, it was, it was a good week. And then, uh, yeah, we went to the Islanders game and uh, we were in a suite with a guy named Jeff Appel. 
and he invited Katrina as well. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it was just a really neat night. Yeah, it was a really good game too. My first hockey game. Uh, no, I, I'm guessing there's not a lot of hockey in Virginia. Uh, it doesn't seem like the most hockey conducive state. Um, but no. you know, have you been a, have you been a part of the uh, USTA you know program for a while? Did you grow up in the junior program? Uh, so I was in Boca Raton from about the age of 13 to 17, and uh, yeah, I had a, I learned a lot down there. Had a had a bunch of different coaches, and uh, you know met a lot of. Uh, some friends that are still some of my best friends today, and uh, obviously Luke and I went to UVA together from USTA, and uh, so yeah, it's a pretty good stepping stone in my career. No, I, I can imagine the academy <clears throat> lifestyle is fun. We were talking to uh, Tommy Paul, and you know, shameless plug, but uh, go check out a cracked interviews. You've got a lot of you know fun interviews. I swear that's the only one I'll do, Ty. Um, so, you know, you mentioned, uh, you lived with Luca Corintelli. I guess the obvious question before getting into your college career, you know, that recruiting class of you, Luca, JC, I think Jordan Daigle initially, obviously, you know, there were a lot of expectations. Was that a LeBron James type thing where you guys have a plan to go to the same school? I wouldn't say we all plan to go to the same school. I mean, I lived at Luca all four years of my USCA career. Um, so, I mean, obviously we went through the process together and we were speaking about it the whole time. He's from Virginia originally. So, you know, it was, it was definitely huge that we, we wanted to both go together. And, uh, um, I, we, I didn't know JC as well as, uh, I knew Luca, but yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to go to a place where we had like championship contention and, uh, to have like that incoming class be so successful in our four years is pretty, pretty special to be a part of for sure. And, that, and, you know, that was a pretty unprecedented run while you were there. But before we get to that, we wanted to kind of cover, you know, the collegiate decision process. Where else were you considering back then? So, like I said, I was at, um, I was at USTA at the time. So, Ryan Williams and Tennessee Sangren were there. So, they were pushing for me to look at Tennessee. Uh, I checked out Tennessee. Um, I actually didn't take any official visits anywhere. But I uh, had a lot of conversations with Sam at Tennessee at the time, had a couple of conversations with John Roddick, but um, the decision was always pretty much UVA because both my parents went there. And uh, I've always, I've been, I've been going to Charlottesville since I was like five years old. So and the decision was, wasn't too, wasn't too hard. You know, given how good of a tennis player you are and, you know, that's the end of the flattery as well. Uh, how much was it, you know, tennis versus academics when weighing your decision for college? You know, academics is always super important to me. I think it became more important after I got to school and I realized, you know, how I wouldn't say fun this setting was, but like I kind of enjoyed the challenge. I didn't mind school. So I was definitely glad in the end that I chose a school with a bit more academic rigor than some of my other choices. No, for sure. I mean, I also applied to Virginia back in the day, and I actually uh, I was on the wait list, and so I ended up going to Michigan, which I was plenty happy with because I'm a Michigan guy. Uh, but I imagine Virginia was a challenging school and a ton of fun. You know, obviously tennis wise, you guys did have an excellent team uh, going into your first season. You know, what were your expectations? What were you expecting to get out of your college tennis experience? Well, I first was expecting college to be an absolute party, so. I mean, that was that was definitely my number one. I also went to college with a wrist injury that kept me out of the my first fall season. 
So I was able to get a, a bit like uh, get that parting out of the way in the first semester. <laughs> but um, I mean, my expectations were pretty high because they weren't the year before I came in and the expectations were pretty high for myself. I, uh, I think I went in underestimating the level of college tennis a little bit. And I think I think a lot of top juniors do that. It's it's difficult to go from being very high in the ITFs and being really successful to, you know, playing five or six on a collegiate team. So I think it's just a completely different kind of pressure. And, um, you know, that's why I think college is such a great step for anyone considering, you know, pro life nowadays. I mean, obviously, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. But I definitely think college tennis is uh, is, is the right thing to do. And I mean, it's a hell of a lot of fun, too. There are definitely a lot of college players that have proven themselves and more so on the tour. Looking back on maybe that first semester, I know you missed the fall season due to injury, but what was the biggest challenge? I know you alluded to it previously, but what was the biggest challenge in transitioning to the college game? Yeah, I mean, there's that pressure. I mean, you go from everything's about yourself in tennis. It's an individual sport. It's probably one of the most selfish sports out there, too completely making that change and making it a team atmosphere everything you do needs to be to, about a team and i think what made our team special i mean obviously i can't speak for any other team because I, I don't really know the ins and outs of any other team but i mean what made our team special is brian put so much emphasis on you know that that team culture and, and making sure that the, the most important thing was that we had a, we had you know 10 unselfish guys that were willing to do whatever it took to help one another, you know, be successful on and off the court. And that tra- that translated to a lot of wins. So, No, definitely. I mean, you know, you went 20 and one your freshman year, I imagine that, you know, in singles, that's obviously superb. Uh, but a fun question for you, you know, you mentioned tennis is pretty selfish. The only time it's really not is doubles. Uh, I have to ask in your partnership with Max Steislinger, was that just love at first sight? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, when I play my best dubs, it's when I'm playing with someone that I really enjoy uh, off the court as well. And Max, one of my best friends in the world, and um, we had known each other for a long time um, before, even before I went to college. And obviously, coming into college, uh, Mac had just won the NCAA's of Jameer the year before, so I got a pretty good partner my first year. And uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, even <laughs> even if we didn't get along, it's hard to complain with playing with the NCAA doubles champion from the year before. No kidding. I mean, <laughs> who who wins in a set straight up? You and Mac or Jermir and Mac? Uh, I mean, <laughs> if you watch the highlights of Jermir and Mac, they are outrageous doubles team. Like, I mean, they're, they're really great together, and there's obviously a reason why they won NCAAs. But uh, Mac and I won a future together, so that's massive. Future's <laughs> biggest title. <laughs> I like it. I was going to say, I would say you and Jer- I mean, what do I know? But you and Jermir are both extremely quick. I'm taking you and Mac because of your serve. That's the difference. Oh, uh, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll never know. That's that's pretty cool hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you know, I enjoy the hypotheticals. Um, but you know, transitioning into, or I guess actually sticking on your freshman year, uh, you know, that's the one year you guys didn't win NCAA's. I know that match with USC must, have, you know, was a brutal one. Uh, talk about how you, you know your team rebounds from a loss like that and focuses for the next year. 
Uh, I we had in, in, an incredible transition from that year to my sophomore year. That that consisted of a lot of growing plans. Uh, I'm not going to go into any specifics, but I mean we we removed a lot of people from. We kicked off. I wouldn't say kicked off, but we moved, removed about five guys from our team. We went from a team from about 15 to nine or 10. And we only had guys that were willing to be a part of the culture that I spoke about earlier. We also got uh, Dustin Taylor as our assistant coach, who was just absolutely instrumental in, in that culture. And him and Brian really completely changed from things how we did from first year. It was, um, much more about the team. We brought team practice back. My first year, we didn't have team practice. Uh, team practice was optional. And um, my next year, team team practice was mandatory. And, you know, individual workout sessions were, were optional. So I think that was a small change, but um, just one of the few that, that really brought together um, our team. And I think, you know, in the end, the closest team always wins. That's really interesting, if you don't mind me asking us. Uh... Team practices being optional, is that because you guys all have your own schedules and it was just so hard to get you all together? Or was it a purposeful, you know, strategic change? Yeah, I mean, my first year is, uh, I mean, Brian wants everyone to do whatever's best for their academic schedule. So if you want to take a practice, sorry, take a class during three to five practice, you know, it's it's no problem. But the only time you can't do that is in the spring when we're getting ready to you know, play matches and stuff like that because uh, team practice is really important in the spring to bring everyone together and make sure everyone's on the same page every single day. And um, we had some tough, tough things that we had to go through. I mean, not everyone bought in at first and it, it, t- it takes time to instill a culture like that. And uh, I think over time, it just, it made the journey a lot more enjoyable too. Uh, I can imagine. And, you know, getting back to your personal season, you know, your sophomore year, at one point, you're number one in the nation in singles. Uh, but, you know, you're not playing one single. I was uh, number a- one in the nation, but I was playing four for my team. That's <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> and I'm I'm trying to think. So your sophomore year, was that Mitchell Frank and Ryan Shane and Colin so, Morano? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm playing four behind behind three guys. That you, you can't even argue that I should be playing in front of them at the time. I mean, Ryan was... Ryan was absolutely out of, out of control his sophomore year. There's a reason why he went on NCAAs. Mitchell Frank is like, I mean, absolute warrior. And then Colin was like just an absolute killer. Like, I don't think I've ever beaten Colin in anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, except for keeping shorter hair, if that counts. Yeah, that, his hair's ridiculous. <laughs> he, cut it, he cut it though now. It's gone. He cut it. Uh, is that in his quest to make the top 300, the hair had to go? I mean, I I just think the hair had to go regardless of being a player or not. He definitely lost a bet there. (laughs) No, but but so, you know, you mentioned you're playing number four. Uh, I believe that year that event was at Baylor and you guys had lost to them earlier in the year. Talk about how you approached that semifinal. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, Baylor was a scary team that year. They, They were playing at home. Their crowd was ruckus. The average age of their players were 29. So, I mean, I mean, it's absolutely like, I mean, you, you walk and I, I saw my sophomore, I felt like a 16 year old boy and I was playing, you know, Diego Galeano, who's like a eighth year red shirt and he's like 29 <laughs> years old and full beard, like big uh, dude. And I, so I was like, I, mean, I was pretty intimidated by them, but 
I've seen the highlights, and uh, there were some interesting line calls in that match, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, it was a, it was an interesting one, but obviously, you know, Mitchell uh, wins that huge third set match, and then you rebound for the finals. Uh, I mean, t- what was it like winning your first national title? Is that the sweetest? Yeah, the first one probably was um, in the moment the sweetest because I felt like we were were not the favorites my second year. Um, I felt we were the favorites my last two years, and um, we were mostly kind of protecting. But yeah, I, yeah, that that first one was so sweet, and it was so hot down at Waco, and we all really had to dig deep, and um, that was a big push. And then and then after that, I felt like the dynasty began, and you know the teams respected us a lot more, and it was a lot tougher to beat us. Dynasties aren't born overnight. You know, you win that first national title. And it's talked about, you know, with the great teams right now, you know, the Warriors or the Cavs come to mind. How did you incentivize yourself to, to find that motivation in the offseason to continue working hard to get back to the grind to, you know, go at it again the following year? Talk about that. And it, was that a challenge at first? I wouldn't say it was a challenge. I mean, you only get four years to play college tennis. And, you know, there's only four years I'll, I'll ever have to play for the orange and blue and I've I've loved UVA um, ever since I was a kid, and everyone who has played for them and in my at least my definitely my last three years. I mean, there's a certain kind of standard that we set where I mean, it's not even about winning the, the title; it's about just doing things the right way. And and so yeah, the motivation was definitely there in my last two years. And I don't know, yeah, I I, I really don't regret how how anything went in my four years. I mean. Uh, every every loss, every mistake that I made, every outburst, every racket I smashed, I learned something from it. And, you know, it, it, in the end, it turned out pretty well. Well, you know, that's actually a great segue because our name of our website is Cracked Rackets. And I have to ask, when's the last time you cracked a racket? And uh, is that something you were big, uh, you know, you were a big offender of? Uh, I wouldn't say massive offender. I think now that I'm on the tour, I, I don't break rackets and matches because, uh, I can't afford the fine. <laughs> um, but in practice, I, I'll throw them and they will occasionally break. I can't remember the last one I broke. It was, you know, probably in July or something like that in practice. But, uh, uh, everyone knows that I, uh, I've had a bit of a temper in my career and it's something that I continue to work on. And, um, Mental game is ninety percent tennis. So, yeah. Well, for the listeners who don't know out there, can you you know kind of talk us through you know how important is the mental game to your tennis uh, results, and you know how much time do you spend working on that? For me, it's I mean especially critical. I mean I've I've had a huge temper ever since I can remember, and now it's more or less on figuring, making sure that uh, I just go out there and I compete my hardest. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to play 25, 30 weeks a year, and next year is going to be the first time I'm going to do that. And, um, you know, it is it is going to be a challenge, staying motivated week in and week out, playing futures, challengers, wherever I'm going to be. And, yeah, it's, I've certainly in this offseason started to work on it much more than I did in college. You know, seeing a sports psychologist, you know, training the mind just as much as I trained my uh, forehand and, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely know that it's a massive part of my game. And, and actually, you know, going off that, rolling back into the summer of 2016, you win your first national title. You also uh, won your first professional title that summer. I think with uh, was it with Mac at the uh, Charlottesville Future? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, and yes, then exactly. You take your second professional title the next week. I think it was with Hiltik at the time. So, you know, confidence is, is at a, you know, sky high going into that fall season individually. Talk about your approach and just the overall mentality. I was getting getting ready to go to my senior year. and I mean, yeah, senior year is just, uh, I mean, I wanted to make sure I had no regrets in my last year. I wanted to try and um, be a little bit more of a leader on the team. And, um, you know, I knew that my senior year would be, the first year, probably, I, I played one and two in my four years. So, yeah, there, the summer before senior year, I definitely was more motivated on the pro circuit in the summer. And uh, I was able to get a Qualies wild card to the Open. And that was an amazing experience to you know, play a Grand Slam. And so, yeah, I'm, there was no short of motivation going into my senior year, for sure. I do want to get back to your college career, but I have to ask just one aspect of college tennis is that it you know, tennis becomes a team sport. And, you know, we've seen examples of that at the Waver Cup, U.S. Davis Cup, and, you know, on a lower level, you have the World Team Tennis Tour. Uh, how much do you do you value your, you know, team tennis experience? And would you like to see that become a bigger part of the pro tour? No doubt, no doubt. Uh, my four years of college tennis is the most amazing thing I've had in my tennis career, and I definitely can see – I mean, look how many people watch the Labor Cup and look at the response from it. Um, you know, tennis is going to have to make a push here in the next 10 years when uh, Roger and Rafa retire. And I think it's interesting to look at the, the age of the, the average fans in um, tennis as well as is getting older. And tennis is going to have to do something to engage the millennial population if they want to continue having fans, continue selling tickets. And that's gonna that's gonna be in a change of scoring, a change in the way the fans interact with the players, and yeah, um, I hope somebody's looking out for the future of the game because you know I definitely can see in the future, you know, tennis becoming less popular because who I I honestly don't know who can sit through a, a five-hour five-set match anymore. It's really tough. I don't know if you watched the next gen finals, but they did play with no ad. Uh, would you like to see that switch? Uh, I'm indifferent to no ad. There's its um, challenges and its benefits. Um, I, I wouldn't complain if they went to no ad. I would be fine if they stayed. Um, I definitely think it helps uh, people who are next match on, like uh, kind of gauge how many, how much longer before they're on. So from a player standpoint, um, no ad. Uh, there's one positive of no ad. As far as the short scoring, I mean, I, I thought it was great. Um, because for fans, the first like five, six games of a set can be pretty boring. I mean, if, even if there's a couple breaks, it's still only two all or three all or three one. And it's, you know, it's, it's not really interesting. I mean, maybe this is just me personally, but it's not interesting for me to watch a tennis match until it gets late in the set. And, you know, um, I think in the shortened sets to four, uh, it's very interesting because you can't, if you get broken early, that, that could be the whole set. So. There's been some chatter about implementing two out of three sets in the slams and then going, you know, three out of five, you know, in the later rounds, quarters, semifinals, and the finals. What are your thoughts on that? I haven't played enough five-set matches. I've played enough grand slams to really have an opinion. I mean, the one five-set match I played at the Open this year was was exciting for me, and it, it didn't feel so long, but at the same time, it was still almost four hours. And, um, you know, I don't I don't know how many people can sit through sit through that and I think you know obviously players are important but the most important people are the fans because they're the ones you know paying tickets paying salaries so 
Uh, I don't really have an idea for that um, either way, but, you know, hopefully someone will figure out the right thing to do. Well, I was going to say, I watched, you know, not to be weird, but I watched every second of your Zeras match, and I enjoyed the early games just as much as the later games. In the past. So you're, you're <laughs> hey, well, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> of course. I mean, you definitely keep it interesting out there. You're definitely a spirited player, and, you know, to get back to that team tennis point, I think your type of energy that you brought to those team matches for Virginia, not that I was there, but, you know, I, I saw the highlights, and you could see in your U.S. Open match, the way you showed energy got the fans engaged. You know, you're doing push-ups in the fifth set, which is freaking insane. Um, things like that that, I, you know, I would love to see more tennis players do. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I think team tennis is great. I think the shorter scoring definitely keeps things interesting. Um, I do want to get back to your college tennis years. Uh, one thing we see in college tennis more so than other places is rivalries. And so being in the ACC, did you have any, you know, who are your biggest rivals? Was it UNC? Yeah, I, I would definitely say it was UNC. Obviously, Wake was a juggernaut last year with how good their team was. So, and they were number one in the country for almost half the season, I guess, the second half. So, I mean, every time we played UNC, it was a war. Um, they had, they just matched up really well against us, to be honest. I mean, they would always find ways to make it close, even though, you know, looking at straight up talent or straight up UTR, it looked that we were the heavy favorites. And, um, you know, we've lost to them enough times that that's, that's not the case. And every time we had to step on the court with them, we had to make sure we were ready or it was very tough. And, and that just always got heated. There was always smack talking. The fans get into it. I mean, when we played at their place, uh, that was probably – some of the worst things I've heard fans say. So, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I loved playing it though. I'm, I love when the fans get involved and I, I even love the smack talk. Where was it worse at a uh, UNC at Illinois or at Baylor? <laughs> the worst things I've heard ever to, said to college players was definitely in Illinois. I mean, they said some, some outrageously outrageous things, some, some racist comments here and there. For all intents and purposes, playing UNC is definitely a much bigger deal for us than playing Illinois. I mean, UNC is, was always much better than them. It's always tough to play UNC, ACC rival, and Trip Phillips, and Sam. And it's, yeah, I, I definitely love playing UNC more. You know, that's definitely a integral part of college tennis, that team atmosphere. Um, looking forward to the in-conference rivalries. Is there anything that you could say or suggest for our junior fans or listeners who, you know, either just signed and are preparing for college tennis and, and, you know, the following year, or is there anything that they can do to prepare for that team atmosphere? I mean, I I would say to prepare for the team atmosphere, you you just got to embrace, embrace your team. I mean, uh, you have differences with guys on the team for sure, but at the end of the day, you all have a common goal and it's, I mean, if you can't love playing for something bigger than yourself, then you're just a pretty selfish person. I'll be honest. And, uh, uh, I just think that, you know, that, that they're really lucky that they have four years of playing for a college institution and, you know, it's, it's an awesome ride. So I would just try to get them really fired up about it. And I mean, whenever I talk to people about going to school, it's, I try to let them know how, how awesome it's going to be. I mean, the friends you made, the memories you have on bus rides and stuff like that. It's 
in college tennis is, is awesome. Man. Again, I, I want to get back to your college career. You talked about the, you know, moments that you remember. You mentioned that loss your freshman year. I also want to talk about the, you know, 140 match win streak snapping against UNC in those, you know, national indoor finals. Uh, was that another one of those moments where the team came together and said, okay, we need to regroup, you know, adjust what we're doing? Exactly. I mean, just what I'm saying about UNC, I mean, you have to be completely prepared to play them every time. And that was uh, obviously with the win streak snapping, it was the first time we'd ever lost to them um, in, in my time there. And, and, and obviously 12 years before that. So, I mean, that, that was a, definitely a wake up call and some motivation to get back to work. And um, yeah, you're right. It, it brought us closer for sure. And yeah, that's definitely one of the more memorable matches in my college career. And uh, yeah, that was tough because we were at home as well. We had a big crowd. It was a it was a snow day at school, so classes were canceled. So we had a, actually a decent amount of crowd for a Monday final. And um, yeah, I mean, well, it was probably like two inches of snow, which in Virginia is a huge freaking deal. Um, yeah, dude, we we absolutely lost our minds. If there's any snow on the ground, like we'd all call for a snow day. I mean, it wouldn't even have to stick. <laughs> Meanwhile, the city is looking at in every storage unit for a snowblower, and you know they have none of the equipment yeah. necessary to get the snow off. <laughs> they shut down. I love they it. shut down the lawn. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. They they shut down. They shut down roads, and then the lawn because of ski park. Good. <laughs> I mean, snow days are the best days of the year. Oh, for sure. Transitioning back to you know those biggest memories of your college tennis career. Obviously, you defeat Blumberg in the final and a close breaker um, in the second set. And you're the fourth, or the fourth you know, UVA player in uh, program history to take the title. Talk about your initial emotion immediately following the match. Well, bef- before the match started, uh, I mean, I, I was obviously incredibly nervous and I spoke to my coaches and either way, I wanted to finish my college career in a way that I was proud of. So, you know, if I had lost the match, I wanted to make sure that um, I was a respectful loser and shook hands with all the UNC guys, no matter um, anything that was said during the match. And then, you know, when I, when I wanted, I wanted to make sure that I shook Will's hand and shook uh, coach Phillips hand before um, I celebrated with my coach. And uh, yeah, so my initial reaction was to make sure that I didn't do anything that I regret. I have some, obnoxious celebration and but yeah i mean of course incredible elation and i mean that obviously the biggest tournament i've ever won and to to say that i'm on i'm on the um the board with the likes of sam david varman who's like my total idol is pretty special for me and uh yeah just to cap off brian dustin and carlos's career uh coaching career with you know a singles victory on top of the, the team victory was just you know a storybook ending for me can you talk about how much Brian meant to the program and just all he did for Virginia tennis? Yeah, I mean, Brian is not only a pillar of Virginia tennis, but of the athletic community of UVA and Charlottesville as a whole. I mean, it was a huge loss, um, definitely for, for our school and our, our thing, but it's, you know, USA men's tennis's gain and I think big things are going to happen next year in USA tennis. And I know Andres is, Andres Pedrosa, the guy who took over UVA, Andres is going to be just fine. He's uh, already recruiting like an animal, doing an amazing job. 
the guys the guys that are still there that were on my team are, are loving it and loving him. So UVA, the dynasty will continue, I'm sure. You know, I lied. One more shameless plug, but we're actually doing a nice little college tennis preview series on CrackRackets.com. Oh, don't worry. I follow that. <laughs> I, I have my opinions about what you guys write, but oh, okay. You know, well, I'm biased. Hear them. Perfect. I, I'm ready to hear. Give me hot take. Hot take life. right here. I read your I read your SC take. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave this here. I won't I won't say names. I won't say anything. I just I just want everyone to know the worst possible mistake you can make in the summer before the season. Sorry, the the fall before the season is already claim that your team is gonna win it the next year. That's a horrible decision <laughs> by anyone who ever says that. So that's all I'm gonna say. Oh, well, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go uh, FBI on you and leak some of your texts with Luca Corintelli and just see uh, see what you guys are texted after 2014 title. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, things that we would say, the things that we said, you know, after we won, you know, obviously pretty private. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have to talk about that, but I think we definitely made sure to. Uh, to not put any extra pressure on ourselves by saying that we're going to win it the next year. And I think a lot of teams don't understand that, that, uh, you know, every time you say it, I guarantee that we're going to win a national championship the next year. That's, uh, letting everyone else in the country know that, uh, that's just giving them extra motivation to kick your ass. So, um, <laughs> and that's, um, that's coming from a maturity standpoint, you know, leadership standpoint, you obviously experienced that, but you know, right after that first title, was it difficult to, you know, not have a little swagger, have that, you know, cocky vibe about you? Oh, it's definitely important to, to be confident and be cocky and, and, um, you know, let everyone know you're the champions, but there's no need to uh, put that extra pressure is all I'm saying. But yes, cocky is good sometimes. Sure, sure. I, I don't mind a little smack talk here and there. Anything to fuel the rivalry and get the fans yeah. going. I'm all in on. I actually, I mean, speaking of cocky, I one thing that I had a bad habit of two matches of saying, I think I did it twice in my life. Once in the NCAA team final of my senior year, and then once at the US Open this year, uh, I hit some probably pretty average shot, and I looked at my coach, and I screamed, I'm the man. And, and, and I think I got like two or three texts after the match that just said like, yo man, like sick match, bad luck you lost. Hey, by the way, you're probably not the man if you have to yell that you're the man. And I was like, you're right. I'm never going to say that ever again. You're right. <laughs> oh, um, dude, I don't know. So after that fourth set against Virov, I was yelling you were the man too. So it's not just you. You had our back. <laughs> Uh, kind of piggybacking off that, and we're wrapping up here. We want to be cognizant of your time, but what can we expect from you in 2018 and and going forward on the pro tour? I'm very pumped for my first full year uh, on the professional tour. I'm making some good gains here in the off season. I think off season is one thing I I haven't had pretty much ever. I mean, in college, you're you're playing pro professional tournaments in this summer, and then the fall comes around, and you're playing ITAs. And um, I always had a lot of respect for the fall tournaments in college. And, you know, I think it's a little, I think it's bad when I think the best players in college skip the fall and I never wanted to be that guy. So I would play the fall as well. And then I would play a couple tournaments over winter break, probably, you know, the LA Futures or wherever it was. And then come back to school and you really haven't had any time off. And then you go through the spring season and um, I'm really enjoying this off season, having some time just to really work on my game and, 
uh, fix a lot of weaknesses. So I'm, I'm definitely optimistic about 2018, and I'm looking forward to it a lot. Well, can I just say I'm a big fan of how you throw in the serpent volley. I, I just it's it's a lost art, and to see someone do it, it it's, it's it's you know breaks my heart. <laughs> I uh, I don't have any massive massive weapons. I don't have a rally opelka serve or Tommy Paul forehand. So yeah, I, I got to be able to do everything I I can to be solid on everything else. So. Yeah, maybe throw in yeah. the occasional volley every now and then. Yeah, I like it. But so, just one more question about your off season. Are you based in Orlando now? Are you training down there with the rest of the team? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have an apartment here. Um, I'm working with a coach named Bill Belzer. When I work with the USJ, I work with Carlos Benatsky. He was the volunteer my senior year, and he's a great mentor in my life, and I love traveling with him and working with him. So. Uh, I was in Orlando some last summer, and I'll definitely be there on and off in the future. Uh, I've just signed with Lagardere, so I uh, also will have access to Saddlebrook. So I think me and my coach are going to go down there and to uh, get some vitamin D and some outdoor hitting. Pretty cold here in Charlotte. I will say one thing about your sponsors before I let Dalton take over. I noticed that you were the one Virginia player to still wear Adidas shoes. Uh, is, is that just something you, you know, you've worn them your whole life, so you had to do it? Yeah. Um, I've worn Adidas shoes my whole life. Uh, I'm to the point now where I'm just a little scared to try anything else. I'm a bit of an injury, uh, not injury prone, but I'm always worried about injury, making sure I do my prehab and stuff. And yeah, I just love that one Adidas shoe that I've been wearing for a while. And Brian really never really had a problem with uh, wearing Adidas shoes. Um, so. Did he at least make you get them color coded or something? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I I knew the equipment guy really well, UVA, because he knew me as the the guy who made him take a sharpie and sharpie out the barricade whenever I would get a new pair. So uh, that was kind of funny. But no, yeah, um, I'm sure Nike shoes are great. I just uh, I never I didn't even I didn't even try them to be honest. Well, regardless, shout out to Adidas. We are going to transition to our rapid fire segment. I know uh, you're familiar with the pod or you mentioned that earlier, but the rapid fire segment, I'll give you 10 questions in rapid succession and you'll answer with one answer here. So you ready to rock? Yep. All righty. Favorite tennis player? Uh, Andy Murray. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I have never heard anyone else answer that before, and I am also a Murray fan. So, wait a minute. You mean Murray, Murray, Murray is an absolute legend. You're not asking the right people then. The guy's a monster. <laughs> you were already, like, Gruska was already your biggest fan, and he just it went over the top. This is ridiculous. And usually oh, I am I got to hit with him at the Open, actually, before he pulled out, and uh, that was, like, biggest moment in my life. So, that was pretty cool. I would also like to say, Dalton says I'm your biggest fan. He makes me sound like a creep. Just because I know that there are only three Virginia players to ever win the men's singles title and not four, <laughs> and that he won the fourth, uh, that doesn't make me a creep. That just means I follow. <laughs> nah, nah. I, I, nah. <laughs> Huge, we're UVA, man. It's all hoops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No hoops, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're editing that out, Gruskin, 100%. Anyway. So. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. <laughs> Uh, moving on to the rap- rapid fire segment. Favorite drink on the court? Water. Favorite meal off the court? Sushi. Favorite documentary? 50,000 balls. Favorite video game? Uh, Call of Duty. If you were to take away any stroke uh, from tennis, what would it be? 
Sir, favorite song or artist right now? Uh, sure. Drake. Favorite surface? <laughs> Slow hardcore. Favorite city in the world? Melbourne. Favorite athlete, non-tennis related? Cam Newton. God, and that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> and your favorite thing about a fresh can of tennis balls is? Uh, not cutting myself when I open the can. Oh. <laughs> if I could sneak in a quick Virginia teammate rapid fire, I'm going to get some fun ones in. Most enjoyable teammate to hit with? Alexander Richard. Ooh. Most enjoyable to get dinner with? Uh, JC Aragon. Okay, what about to go to the bar with? Ooh, that see, it depends on what you want. Well, like, make sure if they're under twenty-one that you don't implicate that teammate. Right, right. <laughs> if, if you want, well, you wouldn't go to the bar at this time. Then you, then you take JC. If you want to pick up girls, okay, I can't, can't throw that guy out of the bus like that. <laughs> if, if, if you want to meet girls, you go with this guy. If you want to like have a chill night, you go with this guy. You know what I mean? Well, who, who has the most game then? That's that's a whole other. I I have the most game for sure, but I mean, <laughs> I don't, you know, you you take this guy because he's the he's an outrageous wingman. Oh, two singles on the court, one singles in their heart. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, a couple more. Best to play doubles with. Uh, Luca. I like it. Best trash talker. Oh, me, hundred <laughs> percent. I love it. And the last one. Who is the cheapest member of the Virginia men's tennis team? <laughs> uh, Ash Lyson. <laughs> Ashwin's a sophomore junior. He is a he's a rising uh, junior because he only had three years of eligibility. Uh, okay, that's so funny though. I love hey, Ty. It. Well, thank you so much for your time. We know how busy you are, so appreciate you taking the time. Uh, nope, I, uh, I I like you guys' podcasts. I like following you guys and um, appreciate you guys, uh, you know, pushing the next gen and college tennis. It's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much uh, again for the support. Appreciate you taking the time. So we'll be in touch. Yep, sounds good, guys. Let me know. Right, yeah, really, really appreciate it. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to Gruskin and I's conversation with Ty. Ty had an incredible run at UVA during the Bowling Dynasty, winning three national championships, and it was really cool hearing the inside perspective from him on his time at UVA. Uh, so, Ty, thanks for again for coming on. We really enjoyed it. Uh, and best of luck this year on tour. I know you're going to give them hell. Also, you know, I have to give a major shout-out to the magician, our producer, and the one and only Daniel Westoff. He does his thing to make our podcast sound crisp and smooth as always. And here, uh, moving forward, we have a few awesome interviews on the horizon. Coming soon, our podcast with our partner Jackson Bridge Academy. And then we still have Oklahoma commit Mason Byler coming for you. And then a couple other um, interviews in the works that uh, I think you're really going to like. So stay tuned there. Take five seconds to go subscribe to the Cracked Interviews podcast as well as the Great Shot podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and go like the Facebook page. 
Uh, don't forget to rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Only five stars. Thank you very much. And we are also now on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, the TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcasts. So check us out on those forums. And I know most of you are doing this already, and we really appreciate you doing so. But continue telling friends and family about Cracked Rackets and the podcast, especially those tennis heads that are looking for all things tennis. Uh, But, of course, you already knew that, so thanks in advance. But for one, Alex Gruskin, Daniel Westoff, I'm Dalton Thieneman, and we will see you next time, crack fans. The final thing is that now I'm not a prince of anything Good they gonna kill anyone I feel so powerful They chip at you, I bring your skin up, everything is confusing You will be good, but you will be poor You will be good, but you will be poor You will be good, but you will be poor Alone every day, it is a praise of pleasure